Today's episode is about one woman's perseverance through a tragic loss and her journey across the many stages of grief. I'm Dr. Christy Wise, and this is Life Sauce. Barbara Legere is an author who chronicled her son's tragic death in her book, Kevin's Choice, a story of sorrow, grief, and transformation. I'm so happy to meet you, Barbara. I, I'm, I know today we're going to be talking about grief and, and the stages of grief, but um, I'm really, really interested in your story and your book and Kevin's Choice, your son, and really what took you down this path and this journey. If you could tell me a little bit about your story. Sure, I would love to. Um, my story is I raised my son, Kevin, as a, a single mom. And when he was probably eight years old is when I started noticing he was depressed. And I did. Um, I took him to a psychiatrist, and we both started taking medication because I didn't want him to take it until after I tried it, and it helped him a lot. So everything was going along smoothly until he was about 15, and he discovered drugs. Um, at age 17, he started using heroin, and that just took him off the rails completely. That started his life being in and out of rehab, in and out of jail. He went to prison once mental, um, hospital, all the things that, that you go through. And I stood by his side and I did everything I could to help him. Um, it was hard to get a diagnosis for him because he was still using drugs and it was just hard. You didn't know what was the drugs and what was him. So he warned me for years that he would someday end his life. And, uh, I tried my best to prepare myself for that possibility. And on August 11th, 2020, he did follow through with that. And I chose to write about it because I want people to understand people like Kevin. There's hundreds and thousands of people suffering from addiction, mental illness, and it's very common to have both. Um, I wanted them to understand what parents like me go through. I know so many parents that their friends and family can't relate. They don't understand why they act a certain way or, yeah, it's just really something most people aren't aware of, but it's like behind the scenes of parenting someone that has all those issues. And I just wanted to, you know, hopefully his story will change somebody's mind about things associated with addiction, mental illness, and hopefully if they see themselves, they will get help. Wow. That's, you know, and I mean, there's so much about your story that I have to tell you, you know, 35 years I've been working with people in whatever capacity, and you could not be more right on that until you walk in those shoes, it's hard to fathom the day-to-day the depth of struggle, and not that being a mom is different than being a dad, they're, they're different, but the depth of struggle and try and hope and pain that, you know, and, and I know that you've experienced because that's, we're human beings and that's what we go through, is so hard for people to understand. So what you're doing is 
so huge and so generous all at the same time. Thank you so much for saying that. Uh, To share your story. So if I could go back, and you're right, by the way, about the dual diagnosis, that often they do go hand in hand. It's like what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? Exactly. Yeah. So when you were initially going through this process and reaching out to whoever you could, because I know when it first starts hitting, it's like, oh my God, you know, we try everything. Where did you find most of your support at that time initially? Support for myself. Uh Uh-huh. I found support for myself in an amazing support group that was created by a woman who lost her son to overdose. And the people that are in that group have either lost a child to overdose or have a child that is still using um, drugs. And also there's a couple of suicide losses in there. I lost someone overdose. That's how I found the group initially, which I, which was wonderful because I found them five years before I lost Kevin. So I have this amazing support group in place. And that's really the only place I found um, other people that knew what I was going through. I mean, you don't have to explain anything. They just know. Yeah. 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 They just know. So you, you had the wherewithal to know to reach out long before that happened. Um, I have a few clients who are going through that now. And when I say clients, I'm talking about the parents, the families. Yes, we know that the actual patient or the or person is the one going through it, but Obviously, it impacts everybody. And, um, you know, I, I find that a lot of my clients that are looking for assistance, even from the rehab facility or from their doctors, and they're even in some of those locations, they're not knowing how to advocate for themselves or for their children. And so they feel sometimes that it even makes things worse. Yeah, so it's, it's really hard. It's not easy getting help when you need it. Unfortunately, you can find the resources, but unless they have, for example, if you wanted to get your child into drug rehab, number one, you have to have good insurance or you have to find somewhere that takes um, like Medi-Cal or Medicaid. And those places are filled to the brim all the time. So you might be waiting for two weeks to get an open bed. You need one in two hours. That's right. It's not two weeks because they'll change their mind. You know, it's like hitting, hitting the what's that saying? Hitting the iron while something's uh-huh. hot. I yes. don't know. You have to do it when they're strength while hot. Yeah, not waiting two weeks to get help. Yes, yes. I also find that um, some of those facilities, like you know, I have. Um, I I say kids, but between the ages of 17 and 24, because, right, they're still, um, but, and are ending up in facilities with, you know, whether it's gravely mentally ill or homeless, and so they don't feel safe or they don't feel like they can relate, they don't feel like they fit in, so they're not always open to treatment. Did you have that experience with Kevin at any point? No, he was... He was actually drawn to people that were down and out type of people. That's just how he was. And he made a lot of friends at rehab, but unfortunately that's also can be dangerous because once you get out, you now have a new friend to do drugs with. Yes. Um, The first time he went, I was so naive that when people started saying, oh, this is my third time here, fourth time here, I thought, what is wrong with him? Kevin's only going to have to go once and everything will be back to normal. Well, that's not how it works. That's 
rare. It does happen, but usually people go multiple times. He ended up going over 13 times to rehab. Did he? Well, and that's about right, right? Uncomfortable for the people that are staying there if they do feel unsafe. I mean, it's so important to feel safe, that you can trust the people around you, that somebody's watching out over you. Um, it all depends on the place. And the more expensive it is, the more safe you're going to feel. Unfortunately, that's just how it works. Right. Right. That, that makes sense. And so, um, when, when he turned 18, because I find this is also an issue where, you know, young kids who are, you know, have to at some point listen to their parents, but then when they're 18, it's okay. okay now, now what? And, you know, so there are a lot of parents that are just at a loss. Like, how am I supposed to help my child when they're now adults? That is so hard. It, it's, it shouldn't be 18. It should be 21. I mean, they're still children, basically. They're still developing their minds. And, and then when they turn 18, at least Kevin did this. He was like, wow, I'm 18. You can't tell me what to do. I'm not going to sign the HIPAA form. I don't want you to know what's going on with me. Fortunately... For us, he changed his mind and realized that my mom is my advocate. I want her to know. I want the doctors to tell her what's going on. But um, it's very difficult to get someone help when they're an adult. You, they have to be willing to go themselves. Right, and and you know, getting help from the authorities can also be difficult because you know you don't. There's those scary scenarios where you know your child is or at 18 out of control. You don't want to call the authorities because you don't want something unfortunate to happen, or you know, do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, you know, oh yeah. yeah, that was a huge fear. Um, Kevin did get arrested just a few days after he turned eighteen. That started his whole uh, adventure into going to jail, and uh, he did go to prison once too. But he was in and out of jail, and the only positive of that is that they do have drug court programs, most counties do, and they provided therapy and um, drug rehabilitation for him. And it was a, a part of his probation. I mean, he could not do it. If he did not do it, he would go back to jail. Mm. So that actually was a big help at that point. Yeah, yeah. That so. Um, how long did it take you to decide to write a book, and how did that help your grieving process? Well, um, it didn't take me long to decide to write the book. Kevin knew how much I loved writing. He asked me if I would write a book about him someday and about how he overcame and was successful and happy. And unfortunately, that book couldn't couldn't be written. So I started just feeling this voice in my head saying, you need to write a book. And it was only three months after he had passed. I joined a writing club, uh, you know, writing club and I started writing my book. And it was very therapeutic for me. Um, I, I'm glad I wrote it then because the emotions were so new and so raw. If I decided now, I can remember in my mind how it felt, but back then I was still feeling it. So it was easier to describe everything. And for me, it was a healing process and it kept my mind busy. It gave me a really big project to work on, to think about. And even though it was about Kevin and a lot of parts were sad, 
um, there was some comfort in that because I felt like I was keeping his memory alive. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's a huge difference between leaning into pain and leaning away from it, especially when we know we're going to experience the pain. And most people have the reflex or that, oh, stay away, lean away, which makes the grieving process so difficult because when you put everything on hold and you wake up and it's eight years later and then you decide to grieve, it's a very different process than allowing yourself to, like you said, strike while the iron is hot, so to speak. Exactly. That's so true. Right. So, um, if you look back on what you've written and you, you know, you're talking to people like me and talking to people about it and being interviewed about it, how has it changed your process? Like keeping it alive and really getting to share the intimate, sad, truthful details about your experience. Well, since I've been talking to more people about it, it does, it becomes easier. I'm able to share now without crying. At one point, I couldn't talk about it without crying. Um, it, it's It's been part of my process. It really has. And what you just said is so important to feel the feelings as you're having them and not try to push them away. I have a dear friend who just hasn't been able to do that. And it's painful to see how unhappy her life is. She's in a dark cloud. And she's afraid to breathe, but you have to. You will get through it, even if it's one moment at a time. It does. I won't say it gets easier because it doesn't, but you learn to live within it Yes. instead of having it control you. Yes, yes. Well said. So how do you get through it? How would you suggest the people that are listening that haven't gone through it or made it through it, how do you get through it? It hurts. I mean, for me, um, the first month I was just numb. I cried so much. I lost my voice from screaming the day it happened. Um, I just, I just felt what I was feeling. I mean, I would crawl on my bed and just curl up in a ball and just wail and scream and cry because it hurt that bad. And it was something I just felt I had to get out. And I did. I let it out. So I would suggest, please feel your feelings. Please don't try to hold them in. Support is also so helpful. Um, I have a sister who helped me raise Kevin. So she's kind of like his other parent. So we had each other. I have my support group. Um, If you have a close friend that offers to help you, take them up on it because you need someone there. Um, It it makes a big difference for someone to acknowledge your pain. I know that sounds funny, but to for someone to know what you're going through somehow makes it easier to go through it. Yes. Yeah. It makes it, it validates us. Us alone and yes. know that, okay, I can get through this. This person is helping me get through this. Yes. Yeah. So leaning on the support system for sure. And then, and you said feeling your feelings because, you know, I know that, you know, when people want to shove it down, the problem with that is, is it's still there. It's not right. It just oozes out at different times. Exactly. You know, I, I've met a lot of people on social media groups that are for parents that have lost someone. And, you know, it's not uncommon to start drinking more or to, you know, 
take up something that's not necessarily helpful or just to do whatever you can to push the feelings down, but they have to come out. They're in there. They'll eat away at you. Yes. I just really think that if you remind yourself, I can get through the next moment, you will. You will get through the next moment and the next. Then you'll be saying, I'll get through the next day, next week, the next month. It does, it does change over time. Yes. And, and I mean, the truth is, is that these experiences we go through life, they do change us though, both, you know, negatively and, and positively, right? Because, you know, we, it sometimes changes the whole direction of our journey. You know, we could be going one way and then another, but with grief and with loss in particular, I think that they're so, um, personal because, some grief, some loss leads us to other feelings like embarrassment or shame or, you know, especially when it comes to having a child who's, you know, getting in trouble or doing drugs or I know that there's there's such shame that when people start to feel um, like, you know, sort of victim blaming in some ways where there's judgment in the environment, right? Did you experience any of that? Uh, there is a huge stigma against um, mental health, mental illness, and addiction. It's just really sad that it still happens today because we've known that addiction is disease for years, but many people don't want to believe that. Um, yes, I did experience that. Um, I would have people say things to me like one time a guy I knew from high school saw me and he said, I, I heard about your son. I'm sorry. Because we raised our kids right, they're all going to college. Oh. <laughs> and I and I knew this. I've known this guy forever, and I know he did not mean to put me down, and he did not mean to hurt me or anger me. But that's what he said. He just wasn't aware of what he was saying. Um, yeah, people will say some really crazy things, but the us as parents, um, we should not feel shame. I never was ashamed of Kevin. I, I saw him struggling. I saw people judging him and commenting on him and disliking him. Um, but they didn't know him. They just saw what was on the outside. And he is a beautiful person. Yeah. And most people are beautiful on the inside, you know, that are struggling through those things. They, they, they're trying to help themselves get through something, through pain. Um, I love people in recovery because they know themselves and they're taking care of themselves. They're learning about themselves and they're constantly growing. And so when I see somebody that's struggling, that's what I think of. I think this person's going to make it. This person's going to find the way and they're going to be better for it in the end. That's right. I am also a firm believer that, you know, there's two sides to our coins. Those things that are even negative, when you flip them over, they're gifts. So, you, you know... Right. So for, for a lot of people uh, with, you know, mental illness, on the flip side of that, there's all kinds of gifts, artistic ability and brilliance in ways that people just never really get to see or not everybody knows. Yeah. Lots of creativity there. Yeah. But it, it does change you. And for me, I mean, I would never be sitting here talking to you before. I was way too introverted, too shy all that stuff. And now I feel like I have a message and I, you know, that is my purpose now is to hopefully help other people. So I do things I never would have done before. That's amazing. It's, it's, you know, that's what I meant about the gifts that come with this 
in, interesting process that we go through. So when you hear about the stages of grief, we all know you know the stages of grief, and we also know that they're individual. Some people experience some you know emotions and feelings longer than others. Um, what would you say to people who are going through those stages and how to kind of let themselves move through them? Well, so the first thing that comes to mind is um, Helen Kubler-Ross, who came up with them and originally, later, before she passed away, she said, I wish I wouldn't have put them in a certain order because people think that they have to go through them in that order. And that's just not true. I mean, you'll go through all of them at different times. Maybe you go through all three in one or seven in one day. Um, but yes, whatever you're feeling in grief, that's okay. It's okay because it's what you're supposed to be feeling. And it's horrible and it's hard. It's painful. But if you feel it, I mean, denial, for example, a lot of people go into denial. This, it's not real. It didn't happen. That really doesn't serve a purpose. So if you can get over that one quick, then you're, yeah. that helps because anger will be there. Um, I was angry. I was not angry at Kevin, but a lot of other people were. Um, I was more angry at just the system that had failed him and just, you know, life turning out that way. Um, but the depression is something that you kind of learn to live with in the beginning. And there is help for that. I really strongly recommend people to seek counseling or therapy, um, especially if they don't already have a support group, because we need to talk about it. We need to get it out. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really hard. Yeah, but I, I believe that, you know, it goes like this. It doesn't go on a straight line. It right. just goes all over the place. And that's right. okay. Never let anyone tell you that you're not grieving right or say, oh, aren't you over it yet? Or, you know, people will say that. Someone yeah. told me to snap out of it. Oh. And I'm like, snap out of it. This is me now. This is my life. Mm -hmm. He was my only child. I don't have a husband or anybody else. It was him. And you don't snap out of that ever. It's just, you are to adjust to it. Um, and for me, I talk to him all day. Can you hear me? I don't know, but I pretend like. I was going to ask you that question. I, I, I was going to ask you that. I talked to my grandfather too. I'm certain of it. I'm certain when I see hummingbirds that it's my grandfather. And um, I, I find great um, relief to talk to him about things or complain and, and, you know, even in traffic, like, you know, random things. So you talk to Kevin as well? All the time. And for me, it's squirrels. When I see a squirrel, it's like, oh, hi, Kevin. I know it's him. He actually has sent me some signs that were pretty incredible. I mean, like a song came on without me touching anything. It just came on over my little speaker thingy, stuff like that. But yeah, I talked to him and I can hear him. And usually what I hear him saying is, hey, mom, I love you. And I can hear it clear as day. Oh, that gives me the chills. I love that. I love that. When you're um, having a bad day and you hear his voice, does his voice soothe, like, soothe you? Yeah, it does. It really does. I hear it and then I imagine him thinking that he is 
not wanting me to be sad and that he's proud of me because I haven't just totally crawled in a hole like they wanted to at first. I think, um, I think of him as, you know, what's the word I'm looking at? Cheering me on, cheering uh-huh. me on. Like, you can do this, mom, you can make it. Now we'll see each other again someday. You can make it till then. And that's how I feel he is there for me. Mm, that's so beautiful. I love that. I mean, I understand. I identify with it, you know. Um, and you are writing a new book? Yes, I am. And I'm kind of excited about this because a lot of people have said, oh, we need that. And I'm sure there's other books out there, but my book is going to be about um, kind of what we're talking about. It's going to be about grief, but it's going to be specific to fentanyl, overdose and suicide loss because those are the like the forbidden things that no one wants to talk about they're like you said there's shame around those things and people will be even more unlikely to talk to you if they know that's how you lost your person so it's going to focus on that it's going to focus on what to say to people that are grieving that helps what not to say that harms and just trying to give a big picture to what it's like to hopefully reduce some of the stigma. So people will see real stories in there of parents, siblings, uh, spouses that have lost someone in one of those ways and will be able to understand better. And it's beautiful. You know, that's it. That's a huge question I get, by the way. What, when somebody passes, what do you say? What don't you say? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, there's a lot. Um, I, I can think of the things you shouldn't say more than the things that you should say. For example, um, I would never say anything that suggests to the person that they should get over it. Like snap out of it was said to me or like, Oh, are you still grieving? Nothing like that. They need to have the freedom to grieve as long as they want to for however they want to. Um, I think saying, Things like, oh, God needed him home, or she's an angel now. Those type of things for me do not help. They just remind me that you know, he's gone, and he shouldn't be. He should not yeah. be gone. I don't want him to be an angel. I want yeah. him here. Um, but the things that really do help are, it's fine to say, I'm sorry for your loss, or I'm sorry to hear of your loss. But then not to abandon the person. If it's someone you're close to and care about, I feel so abandoned by almost all of my friends. And I've talked to other moms and dads that have lost friendships because people are so uncomfortable. They don't want to approach you. They, they're afraid they're going to upset you. So they just avoid it. It's uncomfortable for them, too. And the next thing you know, you don't have a social life. Yes. Um, that happens a lot. So if you say to someone, not only say, I'm here for you, but say, I'm here for you. I'm going to check up for you with you every five days or every two weeks. I mean, you could do it more frequently in the beginning, but then to really do it and to say, hey, do you want me to just come over and hang out? Do you want me to run an errand for you? Can I do this? Can I do that? Um, people that want to help often say, what can I do for you? And what I think is better is to come up with all these things that a person has to do 
right after someone passes, you know, there's the funeral, there's the video of the memorial, there's gathering pictures and calling people. There's so, that whole list I have in my book and um, offer to do something specific or even tell someone, I'm bringing you dinner, would you rather have a DoorDash gift certificate? And just doing it because it's hard to say yes for some people. And it's very hard for some people to ask. I never would have called and said, can you bring me a meal? Can you go to the pharmacy for me? Can you do this or that? But when I had people saying, I'm going to bring something over, or I'm going to the grocery store, what can I get you? Those things really helped because in the beginning, all that is painful. Going to the grocery store for the first time after losing someone it hurts. Yeah. You see all the things you normally would buy for them. And it's just such a painful reminder that you'll never buy them again. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I was thinking that too. I was thinking, you know, going into their room and, and I mean, just all of that stuff. And I know for a lot of my clients and, you know, after they've lost someone, there's all this support initially. And then then quickly people go and they stop checking. Yeah. That happens all the time. Right. So if you if you have someone that has lost someone and you care about that person, write down the date that that person passed and write down that person's birthday every single year and hopefully in between those months. Say, I know today is Kevin's three-year anniversary of passing or I know Kevin would have turned 32. He'll turn 32 in two weeks from now. Um, and just saying that to me, that's like a gift. Wow, you remember Kevin. And if you are if you lose a friend and they still have their parents around, I highly recommend you stay in touch with their parents. And every time you think of a story, a funny story that the parents probably didn't know about, share it with them. Go through your phone. If you find any pictures of that person, I mean, that's the biggest gift in the world to me, is if I get a picture of Kevin that I never had before. Because I'll never be able to take one again. And I have a limited amount of photos. So when I get a new one, it's like, oh, my gosh. It's so wonderful. Or um, text messages. If there's leftover text messages, anything that reminds you of that person. Um, Parents love getting that stuff. Oh, that's such a great idea. It's, you know, I know for people, you know, in terms of their discomfort, sending a picture or a text is like, oh, is this going to be wanted? Is it not wanted? Would you have preferred that people asked you first or was it okay that they just sent them? I think people that know me knew me well enough to know that it would be fine. But if you don't know for sure if that will be fine, I would ask first. I would say, hey, I found a picture. Do you, would you like it? Yeah. Uh, just in case it would trigger them in a negative way. Yeah. For me, I, I, Kevin's friends know me really well. And, you know, I have one coming over on Thanksgiving just to stop by because he's visiting his own parents. And that's going to be a big treat because that's all we'll do. Talk about him. And- yeah. Oh, is it? That's so great. And I mean, obviously this, this during the holidays and, you know, things like Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah and all, it, it's, you know, there's triggering moments for sure. You know, how do you manage through those triggering moments? Uh, those are very difficult. Um, the first couple, well, this will be my third holiday season. He died in August 2020. So um, it was hard. It was very hard because the first couple of holidays, no one mentioned him. I have a very small family, so it was 
extremely obvious that he was no, no longer there. And I was hurt. I, I cried on the way home. And then I realized, okay, I'm the one that needs to do something about this, or I will be resentful and crying for the rest of my life every holiday. So I told them, please, can we please talk about Kevin during the holidays? Bring him up if you remember something. And if they forget, then I just bring him up. And that allows them to say, oh, well, she's talking about what Kevin was like at Christmas time. So it's okay for me to share what he, you know, like he'd be eating all the the rolls right now if he were here instead of the turkey, you know, something right. like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Beautiful. So it's like, you know, you and if they don't invite his memory, then you do. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was scared at first and I, I wanted them to do it without my acknowledgement, but I thought, no, I'll, I'll be resentful and I don't want to have any negative emotions that I don't, I have enough of, I haven't yeah. really had anymore. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and what about the idea of, you know, sometimes when we're going through loss, other people still lean on us as if we're going to help them through their experience. Do you know, did you experience that? Yes, I, I have. And I still am in a way. Um, it's my sister who I'm very close to, so I don't mind helping her, but there are other people that, um, they kind of, avoid me now and I haven't been asked to, to really be there for anyone other than my sister who has got some um, health issues and so I do take care of her but now I forgot the question oh that's okay yeah just about how we tend to take care of other people while we're going through it it helps some people to yeah. be a caregiver to other people and to continue on with whatever you're doing, cooking dinner and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, it really does. It makes a difference for some people. And some people just don't have it in them to do it anymore. Right, right. They need to be taken care of for a while. Uh -huh. Especially mothers who are used to taking care of everyone. Oh. We all feel guilty letting someone help us. But it's not going to last very long that people want to help you. So take it while you can. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything that you would suggest to the people that are listening to this? Because you, not not hearing from the people you care about, how people kind of scatter and they're no longer available, that's that's a whole other type of, of grief and loss, right? Your, your social circle, the people that you're, like, what happened? Where'd they go? What do you suggest? I mean, you know, how do you manage that, that painful experience? Um, well, the people that let me go, I just let them go. I, it's okay. I, I have other people in my life that care about me. So I've just kind of let them go. Um, hopefully your closest friends won't do that to you. But in my support group, we talk about it often that, you know, my friend, my neighbor just vanished after this happened. So I would suggest um, not to take it personally because it's not about you. It's about them, their discomfort. They don't know what to say. Um, you know, I remember before I lost Kevin, other people losing their children around me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I I can't go through that. Just, just, you know, you, you think all these things. And some people avoid you because of that, because they're scared that it might happen to them. Yeah. Um, but... Try not to take it personally, and if it's a person that's important to you, reach out to them and, and say, hey, can we talk? I feel like you don't want to talk to me anymore. Is it because you're uncomfortable? 
um, it, it's almost unfair that we have to do a lot of this work ourselves. Uh-huh. But if we don't, yeah, <laughs> you know, go to the wayside. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, out of all of this, what I'm really hearing is, boy, you sure have learned how to advocate, advocate for yourself, advocate for people who are going through this and parents that are going through this. And I just think that's incredible. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I mean, that's all that really matters to me now. Really? You know, I, I, I'm 2000% sure that Kevin is there with you. I mean, you know, I believe that in my heart of hearts. And um, I very much can't wait to read your book. Oh, I'm losing my thing here. I can't wait to read your book. And and I would also love to read, um, you know, your book about Kevin. So um, I'm going to, I can find that online. Is that right? It's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and pretty much wherever you, all the big places that you would buy it online. Wonderful. Well, I can't wait. Okay. I, I hope that you keep me, keep me in the loop and let me know how it's going and know that we're, you know, we're here and we're, we're really spreading and wrapping you in love. For more information, go to our website, lifesauce.com. That's life-sauce.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media. I'm Dr. Christy Wise. Thanks for joining us.